a husband says to his wife, am I not better than ten sons? Which narrative is it from the Bible? Find out on this episode of Inverse. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Hey everyone, welcome to Inverse, a young adult Bible study discussion show. Here in the studio with me are my friends, and we are in a segment looking at the will of God. If you are interested in studying with us from week to week, go to inversebible.org, and you'll see all the Bible study guides there. You can engage in the study along with us. This week's episode is called Heritage of the Lord. Heritage of the Lord. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 4 through 20. And Sebastian, before we read scripture, can you pray for us? Yes, let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you gave your only begotten son um, so that our children can be safe. Mm-hmm. And we ask, Lord, that now as we discuss this very important topic regarding your will and the home, that you will guide us, you would instruct us and inspire us, Lord. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, Israel, can you read from verse 4 of First Samuel 1 onwards, please? Okay. It says, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed up her womb. Okay, skip down to verse 8, please. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat of, by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued to pray before the Lord that Ellie watched her, that Ellie watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Ellie thought that she was drunk. So Ellie said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Ellie answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Okay, Sebastian, verse 19, pick up, please. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Okay, in the studio today, we have uh, my friends here who all have kids. And so the friends who don't have kids, we ask them to 
go away to the kitty section. Good dad. Uh, we are here, just the parents amongst ourselves, and you're going to have a conversation about having kids. How did you all come up uh, to, with the decision of having kids? What are the struggles of having kids? What is God's will? Uh, uh, how is it entangled itself in having kids? That's the topic what we're talking about. Not I'm mm. not asking you guys to answer right now, okay. uh, but eventually you may have to think of an answer for. Siku, uh, we just read this passage about having kids, in a sense. Um, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> to resummarize what we read? Yes. <laughs> okay, well... Um, Context and, and uh, what does this have to show us about all right, God's well, will and having kids? All right, well, Alkana has his wife, Hannah, mm. and it seems she's unable to bear children. And back then, bearing children was really important. You know, um, it's almost like your worth as a woman was tied to your ability mm. to reproduce offspring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the, the reality that she couldn't bear children meant a lot for her individuality, you know, for her self-worth, for the way she was viewed in society, um, for her marriage, even the way that Alcana was viewed, to the extent that he takes a second wife, Penina, who is able to bear children. Um, but he says that he really loves Hannah, mm. you know, and um, it saddens him that she is grieved by her inability to bear children for him to the point that he says, am I not worth more to you than 10 sons? Like, can't you just be happy with us? Which is a funny... Yeah. <laughs> I take issue with it. Right? Yes. Because he married another woman, yes, right? So, yes. mm. can he just be happy with her? Watch out. Yeah, watch out right. now. All right. So, um, Hannah, watch out. <laughs> okay. It's getting hot over here. Yeah, but, but in, in the narrative, Hannah, Hannah gets to the point where she realizes nobody else can grant the petition of her heart yeah. but God himself. Yeah. And so she comes before God asking him to... To, to, I guess, redeem her in this situation. Um, and she's, she's pleading with him to the point that when, when Eli, Eli, the priest, <laughs> asks her you know, if she's drunk, I, I perceive that it's because when you're drunk, you have no inhibitions. Mm. It's like you're just like, ah, you know, whatever. Yeah. And she is that she's passionate. That way. Yeah, yeah, she's that yeah, passionate yeah, yeah. about this request that before God, she's just going all out. Mm. You know, asking God for for that, and there's so many lessons to draw from. <laughs> I'm just trying to mm-hmm. do a flyover, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. you know, ultimately God grants a petition, seeing the the sincerity of her heart, mm-hmm. and the way that uh, she she promises God is that when you give me this thing, I'm gonna just give it back to you. Mm-hmm. And God grants her petition, knowing that she's the kind of person who will give back to him what he has already given mm-hmm. to her in trust. Let's, let's uh, go to, let's go one stage and build up to this. Yeah. Uh, why do people have kids in the world, uh, in, in, the, in the worldly sense, in the, in the secular sense? Why not normal people, as we say? Normal. Yeah. <laughs> there's, I think there's a variety of reasons why people choose to have children. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, you have the, the concept of love. People love each other, yes. and so children are the natural result in many cases of that situation. Okay. Some cultures, people want to have children uh, to, to expand their, you know, their family. Mm-hmm. Familially, they want to have a larger family, and so they for were agricultural reasons, for or whatever, or reasons. namesake, yeah. or yeah. For posterity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Progeny. And so, yeah. Survival so that, of the human race. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Survival. <laughs> of the, and uh, and doing okay yeah. And we also have we to are. understand that there are, in, in many cases, especially the culture that we live in, in some cultures today, there are people who don't want to have children, mm. who don't see the value in having children. Yeah, we see the, the dink phenomenon, double income, no kids, mm-hmm. about mm. uh, our generation who are not getting married or maybe they're married and having no kids. They just think kids are a nuisance, are a, mm-hmm. a parasite to yeah. your, oh, wow. your, your living, so you, mm-hmm. you prevent them from happening. And wh- wh- what is the biblical reason why we should have children? I mean, that's, that's really the reason why we're, we're, we're here, what we're talking about. Sebastian, why should we have kids? 
Well, when you go back to God's original purpose for men, when he created him in Genesis chapter one, in verse 28, God tells Adam and Eve after he made them be fruitful and multiply. Mm. But these are individuals that he made in the image of God. And we understand that being made in the image of God is not just an individual privilege, it's a community privilege because God exists in community. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so with Adam and Eve, through their particular connection comes this third being into, into, into life. And now this continues to reproduce and pass down the, the character of God. Mm-hmm. So to me, God wanted them to replenish the earth, fill the earth with individuals that look like God, mm-hmm. that are controlled by the same principles that constrain God's mind, that constrain his heart. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think that some ways in this world, people say, well, Sebastian, that makes a lot of sense when the world was perfect, right? It was great, the weather, the temperature was perfect, there was no crime, (laughs) and now we live in today's age and we're saying, well, the world is not perfect. And I went through that, you know, same question in my own mind, growing up in inner city Chicago and gangs, and you're like, do you you really- Want to bring kids into this kind of world? Right, do you want to bring kids into this kind of world? And so I think that being fruitful and multiply is a, is a, is a fundamental thing to what God had given as a command to Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely a little bit more tricky considering the way society has gone with sex, human sex trafficking and, you know, all kinds of things that children are at risk for based in our society. And cold weather, cold weather too. Absolutely, the weather, bro. You mentioned uh, Genesis 128, or the Bible injunction is be fruitful and multiply. So there is that uh, marriage is good. Yes. yes, sexual intimacy is good. It's Having holy. kids is good. This is yeah. all part of good, good, good. God's good ideal. Part. Yes. Yeah. Um, in, in the case of Hannah, who could not have kids, how would she be able to fulfill Genesis one twenty eight? Or maybe not Hannah, but she had, and she had kids and whatever. But mm-hmm. maybe there's people out there who who can't have kids, or are you know for whatever whatever scenario they're in. Uh, what can we say to that? When we look at the story of Hannah. Something that strikes me is the fact that uh, there's a there's a there's a dual process here. Not only uh, it, it's not it's not enough that people want to have kids. The other question that needs to be fundamentally answered is: Does God trust us in having in bearing His children? Mm. Children are a gift from God, mm-hmm. and and here in Hannah, God was able to find a person. Uh, in whom he could trust to grow up, to grow and to and to nurture someone like Samuel. Mm-hmm. And so there's also this dual component of not just uh, individuals wanting to have children, but also the divine responsibility of bearing up children in the fear of the Lord. And I'm not saying that anyone who can't have children is because God can't entrust them with sure, children. Sure. Mm-hmm. But there's also that dynamic that uh, I wanted to add on to what Sebastian mm-hmm. was saying previously. And in, and, in the, and in the fruitfulness that God calls us to like has been already stated, you can have children and they're not a blessing to the world. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, so just the fact of having children doesn't mean you've blessed the world by just by, you know, producing mini yous. God, yeah. God wants, <laughs> yeah, mini me's, but not mini me's. Yes, yes, mini yeah. like Y-O-U's. We got yeah, it. Yeah, Y-O-U's. Um, <laughs> then God, God wants, wants us to be a godly seed, right? He, he would like his character reproduced and in our progeny mm-hmm. that his glory is magnified through our children being born because then right. there are more individuals who can reflect the image of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that ability to do that is not restricted to people who have biological children, though. Yeah. It is possible still to bless the world in terms of being fruitful in your ability to recreate the image of God in others, even when you don't have biological children mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. And that's something that you can... that. 
I can do that all of us can participate in as a family of God, regardless of whether we have children. And I know we're not talking about the church right now, but that's, I think that's part of why the church exists, is that as a community of faith, we contribute to each other's, even to each other's children, to bringing up a community that reflects the image of God, regardless of whether I have biological children or yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Takes a village. Takes a village. Takes a village. village. Takes a village. Charm. When we come back after the break, we're going to look at further principles on how to raise children, whether to raise children, and some of the dynamics of marriage, children, and even sexuality. So stay with us. Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. Hey, welcome back, friends. We're looking at the concept of children and knowing God's will regarding children. Now, some of you have um, have children, and you're thinking, well, I already have children. Oh, that's that. And some of you are so far away from having children, you're like, man, this is not a topic that's of any importance to me. But when it comes to children, this is a very huge stage in our, in our, in our spiritual lives. And sometimes if we're not preparing for it or reflective on it, it just comes and goes. And this is a huge responsibility that we need to take seriously and see what the Bible has to say about it. We've been talking about how do people who don't have children or cannot have children uh, how do they fulfill this uh, go yeah. and, and, and multiply and be happy and kind of kind of command that God yeah. has given them? And, and experience Christ-likeness, which yeah. was what Sebastian was saying earlier on. I think when we look at Scripture, it's important for us to note that. And what's striking about the Bible is in many, in many cases, actually our relationship with God is adoption first and then birth second, mm. right? And so it's like God first adopts us and mm. then we are born again. Mm. Many times in society today, we look at adoption as a second option or an option, a backup choice. Mm. Whereas in scripture, it's never viewed that way. God, God never viewed it that way as a second or inferior option. Mm. God understood the family concept to be to include what Sika was saying. You know, this includes the entire village. We, as individuals, experience Christ-likeness mm-hmm. when we invest in a child. And I think the, the, the question is why. Why does that make us more like God? Is it because we're able to biologically re- reproduce children? Mm-hmm. That's not the case. The reason for that is because we're able to experience a small element of godliness when we're caring for a child that does not care that we love it, mm. that does not know how to love us back, that has nothing to contribute to us, mm-hmm. that all it does, it takes our money and our sleep, yes. and our, you know, right? Yes. So, Go ahead and preach. We'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah. yes. and so, we need some time for that. And so this is, where, this is where godliness and godlikeness is expressed. Mm. As two individuals, two parents come together, and they wrestle over the salvation of their child. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about, oh, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, God is giving to humanity the care of raising its own, something that is not really theirs, but is actually God's. Mm -hmm. And we do this not necessarily through biological reproduction, but we also do this through the adoption of children who might not have a Christ, a a, a godly influence in their lives, but they would. You know, it was was very interesting is when I was uh, coming into um, into the faith, the, the young lady who brought me in, her mother used to run basically foster home in her home. Mm-hmm. And some of those kids would end up staying long term. Mm-hmm. And just to see the spiritual investment that went into those kids and how even as they aged and they came back to visit as teenagers or co- college students, they still consider her their mom. Mm-hmm. And, and in their sense, it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't give birth to you and all those different things. But the 
who she was and what she represented by her love, her service, her sacrifice for them, she became their mother. Mm -hmm. That's who they called for worries or questions or concerns or major decisions in life. Yeah. So and I think that's mother critical. Mother in a different sense. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to go to Isaiah. Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 verse 4. Uh, a wonderful verse that a good compatriot of mine helped me find here. Uh, Isaiah 56 verse 4. The Bible says, For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me and hold my covenant, to them, even to them, will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Mm -hmm. So here you have someone who is a, a, someone who cannot have kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but God promises them that, hey, if you're faithful to me and if you're my servant, I'll give you better than sons and daughters. And in a sense, uh, these individuals are called to be some mothers and fathers of other children, maybe not biologically their own. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bible says here a name, but really when you take this out missiologically throughout the entire scripture, they're a disciple for Jesus. Mm -hmm. They're an evangelist and they get to have spiritual children in a sense. Amen. And they carry the name of God. They kept it there, and and whether we're married or not, if we're never single and maybe like you know 16 years old, we're still called to some level of discipleship mm -hmm. and taking care of those underneath us, or mm -hmm. maybe senior citizens and, and or beyond the years of, of having kids and whatnot, we're still active and and, and, and think of how children. think of how profound that is, right? That that in what Adam and Eve could do biologically, mm -hmm. we now have to do spiritually, mm -hmm. which is to reproduce someone in the image of God after we ourselves have been restored in the image right. of God. Right. And I think that's, that's, that's important. Yeah. I, I was thinking about when you, you asked a question that we was rhetorical right at the beginning, but it, it got me thinking to before uh, my husband and I were married and we were discussing, you know, the possibilities and et cetera. One of the things we talked about was having children. Should we have children? Should we not have children? And I recall specifically where we were when we had this very heavy conversation where on a car ride and, um, I, it was a gray day, and I was looking out the window, and I just, I was just bawling because I was like, I don't want to bring children into this evil world. Mm. You know, this world is so evil, I can't imagine, you know, bringing a human being, a, this helpless, innocent little baby, to experience like all the, all of the stuff that the world is, and how do you protect them, and just all these thoughts. And I thought of that in the context of what we're talking about our rep about reproducing the image of Christ, not just in our own biological children, but in, in others as well. At the root of it, I didn't want to have children because I was afraid of what they would experience in this world. Yeah. And in a sense, it, it, I mean, it, it makes sense existentially, but it's kind of selfish-ish because there are other people who are already living in this evil world. So it's yeah. kind of like as long as I don't have to deal with protecting somebody, as long as I don't have to deal with making sure that they're safe, then I'll be okay. But there are other people who still have to experience the evil in this world. So that, that prerogative of, quote, making the world a better place or, or mm. you know, enhancing the gospel yeah. or pushing for the second coming of Christ, it still rests upon me even if I don't have biological children. Having biological children makes me realize the weight of it in a different kind of way. So it's like, whoa, okay, let's make, I don't want the world to end on my kids. And when we talk about yeah. making the world a better place, it's usually what world are we leaving for our children is how mm -hmm. we phrase it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yet in reality, this, this world, whether, whether you have biological children or not, we need to think about what, what heritage are we leaving or what, what uh, heritage, what's the other word? Come you know, um, um, you know like, what, what, what are we passing on to the mm -hmm. quote next generation or Better yet, as a Christian, do we not want Jesus to come soon so that 
that other child doesn't have to live through that, so that the, the victim of sex trafficking doesn't have to go through this experience, so that no other child has to go through the abuse that other children are going through. We want Jesus to come soon. Mm-hmm. It's something like there's a, there's a, you're, 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 you're placing the focus off a bit. Um, and, and, and um, so many people raise, <clears throat> raise children as the final goal in things. Yeah. If I just raise my child well, in a good society, that's my final goal. Right. And God is the tool by which that is made possible. Mm. But what you're saying is you, we, we're, that's a displaced perspective. Mm-hmm. That we have to have God's end goal of the world first. And my children are an avenue to that goal, whether it's the gospel or, or as missionaries or, or, or evangelists yes. or whatnot. That's, that's actually our radical way of thinking. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what that's Hannah is Hannah going did. through. Hannah is one of the most radical parents in Scripture, mm-hmm. right? I mean, she takes, she prays and prays and prays. I mean, she's weeping and she looks drunk to, you know, to the eyes of the people around her. She wants a child so badly, but she gets the child and then immediately gives the child back to God. Yep. And it's like she sacrificed her son, mm-hmm. right? Well, the Bible says that in the time of weaning, which is about, mm-hmm. what, three to five years old, mm-hmm. depending on the culture when people wean, but it's usually around that time, so she only has the kid for about three, maximum three years, mm-hmm. no, min, minimum minimum three years. Yeah. And and she's not giving these the the, the son to this this holy holy. No, because these guys are not because Eli's sons were wicked. Yeah. So you're like you're going to send him to the priest who's not even necessarily a good father himself. Right. And God ends up rebuking Eli for that. And you could question, well, why would God give Eli children, right? But Hannah is a godly, right. loving person. And yet she's denied and she's agonizing just to get one child only to give it away. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just goes to show what makes it so special and such a privilege to have children, whether we're able to do that biologically or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it shows here the role that we play also in the providence and the providential leadings of God. Mm -hmm. You know, the family is the smallest of all of all societal units, yet it is the most powerful. Mm-hmm. What happens in my in my small home in Michigan, mm-hmm. it's going to eventually impact the world. Mm-hmm. My child is going to go to school. He's going to come in contact with people from all over the country, all over the world. These individuals are going to go back to the places where they've come from. They're going to have families of their own. Mm-hmm. And so the world that we live in is bound and tied through the small web of a family unit. Mm-hmm. And so this is why Satan attacks a family unit. It's the most powerful of all units. Mm-hmm. You know, how we how we go back and how we and how we discuss issues that are taking place in the church are ultimately going to be examples that we leave behind for our children mm-hmm. when they come to those kinds of positions. And so what we do in our home privately, how we raise our children in, in a private context is what God, it's, it's the means by which, is designed to be the means by which God uses our children to impact the world, to make it a better place, to make yes. our church a better place, mm-hmm. and most significantly and importantly, to do what Sika was mentioning before, which is to aid in the salvation of souls. Yeah, well, while you're talking, I was thinking of John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go to any city in the middle of nowhere, and it always has a Chinese restaurant and a Methodist church. Those mm-hmm. are two staples in every <laughs> village around the world. And this, this move was started by John Wesley. I mean, the one individual who changed the world single-handedly, his brother, Charles Wesley, who wrote all these hymns that all these churches around the world are singing, yep. raised by this godly mother, Susanna, yep. Susanna Wesley. And they attribute their, a whole 
uh, old spiritual experience to her. Their dad was unfortunately a deadbeat dad. He was trying to write some Bible commentary, some theology, and he was just getting bankrupt, going to a debtor's jail. So <laughs> she's raising like a billion kids, a single mother mm-hmm. having the ability to change the entire world through her children. I mean, it's, it's a powerful testament. Yeah. Not that mothers, only females are destined to be mothers and to change, but this right. is, they, they attribute this mm-hmm. impact to, to, to the home life. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful testimony. I want to ask you, uh, what, is the, what have been some of your experiences of having children uh, in the sense, you know, some people have children, um, you know, you have accidentally or, you know, because of whatever uh, yeah, <laughs> circumstances that just like, and then it happens. In those cases, I mean, uh, is, we, can, we can see how God uh, has his will enacted through these human moments. Yeah. Uh, whether it's accident or not, how has God used children in, 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 in shaping the characters of the parents? I, I'll say this. I was very, very, very holy before I had children. Mm. I mean, I was the most patient person, the most level-headed woman you'll ever find. Mm. I'm not even kidding. You can ask my husband. And then we had kids. Mm-hmm. And... In, in a very, very real and very practical way, Jesus became real to me in a new type of way where um, I, need, I need Jesus to help me hold my tongue, mm-hmm. you know? I need him to, to help me physically restrain me, you know, when that child, you know, and... Um, <laughs> help me don't kill this child. <laughs> you have good kids. My kids are amazing. <laughs> Amen. But it, yeah, no, your, your three children are like, you know, angels. three, three yeah. angels who go to bed at four in the evening and Six. wake up at like <laughs> <Okay>. noon. <laughs> but having children has, it's, it's been a learning how to be like Jesus in a very real and not in, in a philosophical way, like, but in a very real, you know, you know, uh-huh. ah, yeah, type of I way. Think, I think for me, my, my son has really caused me to reflect on what it means to be a man mm. and how I'm relating to him and how I was raised in a very strong, you know, masculine type of thing. You know, I never kissed my dad to say goodnight or those type of things. You felt like boys don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with my son, it's, it's like really challenging me to see he has all those boy tendencies and he wants to wrestle and aggression and all this stuff, but yet he's like, oh, pop, I want to give you a kiss goodnight. And at first, I'm kind of resisting that and then eventually embracing it. So to me, it's really softened my heart and really helped me to redefine what it means to be a man. Hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation about having children. If you have children, raise them godly by God's grace. That's our prayer. Hopefully that's yours. We'll see you next week here in Inverse. You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by the Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag Inverse Bible. Until next time, this is Inverse.